1: From Red Kite Prayer, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Celine Yeager, and with me is my co-host, Patrick Brady. Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. How goes it, Patrick? Things are good.
0: Things are definitely good. Uh, I had a little adventure last weekend. Mm-hmm. Do tell. I saw some stuff on the Facebooks. Yeah. Uh, well, I can't say it was my longest day ever time-wise, but it was my biggest mileage day ever. And, uh, 161 did I say, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, to be honest, that's only like eight miles longer than my previous longest ride. Um, okay. But that was like 14 years ago or something. (laughs) (laughs) So it was, it's been a while. It was a big day. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, the local wine country century was going that day. And so I ended up going out and doing their a lot of extra miles and then looped in with their metric century route and rode along with that for a while and then turned off and went home and got lunch and then went back out and then found the darkness, Uh, <laughs> you know, almost died four or five times getting hit by cars on, on a road with no shoulder. I, I was starting to think, okay, what the hell am I doing? Um, It was, it was unpleasant. Um That sounds unpleasant. Yeah. yeah. But then, you know got off on a on a quiet road by myself and went and just looped around and felt really nice you know felt strong the whole day uh it's good i think my my fueling went pretty well um you know didn't make too many efforts you know really wanted to just kind of keep right. it in 2 and 3 and uh mm-hmm. roll nicely uh i did discover one rather bizarre little detail after i uploaded all my, uh, data after the fact. And that is, I have, I've known for a while that I have a leg strength imbalance. Oh, interesting. Okay. When last it was tested, when the last I really took a look at it, cause mm-hmm. you know, that's just not something I keep uh, uh, looking at on the, on the Wahoo element. But now that they've included some of the, some of the data reporting that uh, that Pioneer does. I went and looked at it after the fact. My, I didn't know they did that. They do now. Yes. Yes. If you're using a, With, a Pioneer uh, power meter, all the different Oh, you ways, have to use a, if you're using a Pioneer? I'm using the Pioneer. Okay. I thought you said the Wahoo. Well, so now I'm confused. I, so I'm using the Wahoo as my head unit so that I can yep. look at data. Oh, and okay. Okay. Data. I see what
1: you're saying. And then gotcha, when I, gotcha. Okay. When
0: I uploaded that and looked at it, in the gotcha. uh in the wahoo app yep it gave all this information my left leg is stronger than my right why i'm not really sure but my split is 70 30 what 70 <laughs> 30
1: some things are best not known <laughs> that might be one that 70 30
0: 70 30 like, if I'm just pedaling and feeling like... Is I'm, your right
1: leg just, like, on your handlebars? Is it... Um, tied behind you, my back? Yeah, do you have it?
0: I, I mean, here's the craziest part of all. When I'm just pedaling along, feeling like I'm, I've am i got a good, smooth, even pedal stroke, it's 70-30. Uh-huh. Really? When, yeah, when I'm killing my right leg and soft pedaling with my left, that's when it's 50-50. Wow. Yeah, so... I that's not going to get fixed before Dirty Kansas. No,
1: no, 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 no. You would be best to just forget that you ever saw
0: that. Um. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I now have a project for the summer. And you don't feel that at all. You don't notice. Well, I mean, here's the thing. I can't climb. OK, I used to be able to climb. I can't climb. I. I get dropped by anyone and everyone on climbs. Um, of course I'm probably upsetting anyone who is slower than me and has been dropped by me. So my apologies on that. I don't mean to be insensitive.
1: Right. Right. No, I know those are always weird lines to walk, but I I know what you're saying. Uh,
0: I just, I, you know, people I ought to be able to climb with the people. I am just as strong as in virtually every other circumstance. will just ride away from me on a climb. And, uh, it's like, well, you know, if my, right leg was 40% stronger than it is, I'd be climbing like a beast. How long has this been going on? I don't know. I mean, last I knew it was a 60, 40 split and even that was disturbing.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. But that's, that's a little, that's a little, okay. Better. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I mean, totally not something you're going to look at in the next couple of weeks, but, but definitely, I mean, you know, those are like the impingement things. Like, I don't know. When you listen Whoa. to Jess,
0: mm-hmm, Sarah mm-hmm, talk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's got me wondering. Though. Nope. No yeah. pain. Just no go. Yeah.
1: No, it's definitely something to, yeah, that's definitely something to look into. Yeah.
0: So anyway, how are you?
1: <laughs> I I am well. Yeah. It's just busy week. Just busy. One of those days, like I woke up and I'm like, oh, it's Thursday. Like how is, you know, like when mm-hmm. you're just, Yep. you know, those, yeah. All my weeks aren't like that, but this one definitely just was like, wow, okay. Uh I don't know what happened the last 3 days, but here we are. It's Thursday. So, yeah. 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 Oh. So, I will uh I'll lead us off. Yes, please. Um yeah, so my poll this week um is about something that I wrote. So it's doing double duty. It's um it was this it's you know, sometimes I, I do a lot of just scouring of general research uh, journals and fitness stuff. And, you know, sometimes it overlaps with the bicycling stuff and sometimes it doesn't. But but this time it was like one of those exercise personality studies. And everyone is a sucker for exercise personality
0: stuff. You know, I think
1: I've never considered
0: it before. But when I saw the article, I was like, oh, I'm in.
1: Yeah, I mean, every it, 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 how could you not be? But but it's interesting because. You know, the. the it was what what I found interesting is the researchers went into it sort of with the same bias that you and I probably would have or anybody would have. you know, they went into it looking at sort of like the five big personality types, right? They had like a several hundred people and they they gave them the personality types with like the extroversion and the introversion and the neurotic you know and the neuroticism and the openness and all that mm-hmm. that you know sort of defines your personality globally and then as well as like a whole laundry list of stuff that is not just uh, exercise motivation for you, but just sort of general life motivation, you know, stuff that motivates you, generally speaking. And then, you know, just looked at all the stuff, the activities they did, their primary exercises, and sort of threw it all into the centrifuge. And, um, you know, they they said in the, in the study that they had, had expected that, you know, introverts would be your long-distance runners and your cyclists, and extroverts would be your CrossFitters and your team sport players and all that. And it's funny, you know, it, it didn't turn out that way at all. Like people were evenly distributed across all activities. Yeah, that blew my which, mind. But, but if you think at first it does. But then I thought like, but consider any given, like go on a century and ride with any given group. Right. You're going to have the guy that's running his mouth nonstop. You're going to have the guy that's barely talking. You're going to have the woman who's, you know, I mean, all your personality types are actually going to be pretty well represented there. Right. As it's same with any marathon and when i go to crossfit kind of the same
0: i i mean i'm not in touch with crossfit i don't know about that but when i think about my experience with cycling sure i've i've seen everyone represented but i do think that there is a bell curve to it just yeah, relative I would, I would to my with, experience I would agree with that. there's a bell curve well, that, when
1: you get out to the further reaches of our sport like ultra endurance stuff i mean is
0: that sort of where you're going with that uh, not even that, but no. like like okay. people I'll see out riding consistently, regularly, mm-hmm. you know, like a, a a rigorous schedule where they're always right, out right. and mm-hmm. they're always by themselves, always, mm-hmm. always, always. And so that's that's a thing that I see, and so I can't help but wonder if you really looked at a a distribution, uh, kind of a poisson distribution you know with a bell whatever would form the bell curve and i suspect that there Mm -hmm. is a bell curve i i kind of feel like you'd still see some weighting toward introversion yeah
1: i would agree with that i i I think that's probably true i I don't know i mean i i could also be convinced otherwise because it kind of just depends i mean there are people who really only ride with groups right they don't Mm -hmm. like to go out sure So, so yeah it's hard to anyways but that ended up as we're showing not shaking out like it, it doesn't really matter what you're an introvert, you're an extrovert. I mean, it, all those things seem to appeal to to those personalities. What what did seem to matter was this broader personal characteristic kind of thing. Like, for instance, you know, people who identify as joiners, they like to be affiliated with mm-hmm. things. You know, they're mm-hmm. people who sort of that's how they they self identify. Motivates them. Um, you know, they were very into CrossFit. CrossFit was very attractive to them. Um, Same said for people who are highly motivated by aesthetics. Six packs body sculpting. Not a super surprise there. Though to be fair to CrossFit what struck me as an aside is holy crap, motivation across the board. Like they like all the person, like anything that could motivate you, CrossFit seemed to check the box. It was really interesting. Hmm. And it seems to explain why that is such a I don't want to use the word cult, but it's but the the people are so devoted to it. And like and like people who get in there are just and you know I am familiar with it and I I understand it. I understand like how that is so satisfying on so many different personal characteristic, personal motivation. All those levels, because it kind of does satisfy whatever you're looking for. I think you can find it there. So it's, it's interesting.
0: It's the Indian food of exercise. It's salty. It's sweet. It's got protein. <laughs> it's a way of it's putting it. got carbs. It's yes. Everything. Yes.
1: Okay. Yes, that is that. less. Yes. Um, Unsurprisingly, people like ourselves, cyclists um, seem to be largely motivated by the sheer enjoyment of the activity. And I think for something like cycle, I mean, you'd have to be right. I mean, most people are riding a bike because. Not because they, it's not like running, like, I feel like I should run. You know, it's like you're, you're, you're riding a bike for the activity itself. Um, but I'll tell you, you know, like none of like this was all fun and it made for a great quiz. And then I put it up. And what did surprise me, like I knew people would like it. But what surprised me was the depth of the response I got from my own readers. And that always sort of takes me aback. Like sometimes uh-huh. I'll just put up something that I think is just light and frivolous and I'll get these kind of responses that I'm like, oh. OK, you know, like now we're going to go to the next level with this. And this and, you know, one of the readers sent me, you know, sent me a response that stuck with me. And she said, uh, and it's OK for motivations, priorities and needs to change over time. I held on to running for far too long because runner was my identity, even though I was burned out and needed a change. You can end up losing your love for your sport if you hang on too tightly. Ooh, I was like, yeah, huh. And, you know, it it got me thinking a lot because I do I've been thinking a lot in these terms lately. Like when I was training for Ironman, I was I had a lot of very different motivations in general, you know, as well as athletically. And I identified myself as a triathlete for the first time in my life. Like I know I've always done triathlete triathlons but i would have never identified myself as a triathlete mm-hmm. and in that process i started to tell people i'm a triathlete to the point at which my cycling friends were like stop that you're not you know <laughs> i can't tell you how many times i'd be grip. like no she's not i know i'm like well i kind of am right now um but but i never identified as a runner or swimmer individually uh-huh. and even when i ran marathons since so i've never i would never tell someone i'm a runner ever like it's one of it just okay so then yeah so for years i identified strongly with that but then you know it's once i was done with it it satisfied all that stuff like all and it and it it actually started exaggerating some of my goal-oriented characteristics more than i liked the iron man thing you know like i i I found my the personality traits that are double-edged swords were becoming sharper so i felt like I I needed to I haven't done a triathlon since. Um, though so I've I've been glancing at it again. So I switched to mountain bike. I <laughs> will get to that another time. So I, got, I switched to mountain bike racing. And for years I identified super strongly with that. Like, you know, I was a mountain bike racer. I traveled the world being a mountain bike racer. You know, I'm a writer first, obviously, but athletically that's what I defined as. Mm-hmm. But like my reader, the last two years of that journey, I started to feel burned out but I was definitely hanging on because I'd entrenched it as part of my identity and it was really hard to free myself mm-hmm. of that because mm-hmm. I wasn't sure then who I was mm-hmm. you know and and I still loved mountain biking but the racing part you know it was starting to wear me thin and I haven't actually it's funny I have a big mountain bike race coming up not this weekend but next weekend And it'll be the first time I'll be pinning on a number for a mountain bike race since I raced a stage race in Cuba two years ago. Oh yeah. Um, And not that I haven't been mountain biking, right? you know, and I've I've pinned on other numbers and I've done lots of other things, but I haven't raced a mountain bike or lined up with the intent to race one, you know, since that time. Um, And I'm feeling oddly weird about it. Like, because I think, There's this disconnect now. It's sort of like the quiz emphasized, you know, the the study, I should say, the the, the researchers are like, you know, you should choose activities because you think that they satisfy an internal motivation or a goal, not just because you think you should. You know, like so many people just join an exercise class because, well, I should, I should, Mm -hmm. you know, but that's, you won't do it. It won't last. So, you know, that's, that's just basic, basic common sense in some ways, but a lot of people miss it. But I also feel like you could say the same thing about racing, you know, and well, now I feel like I'm throwing that rule out the window <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just going to go and I'm just going to go do this thing that I don't even know if what my motive, like I just don't even know. And I'm just interested to see like what happens as the present me meets the former me out there in like fifty five zero miles of like really hard Pennsylvania single track. <laughs> I'm going to have a lot of time. To for all myself to talk to each other and to see what to see what the motivation is anymore.
0: <laughs> anyway, I was thinking you've got to have some thoughts well, on your last statement just made me flash on uh, one of the Looney Tunes cartoons where Foghorn Leghorn uh, it gets the there's the, the the brainy little kid who shoves the the shovel in the ground and pops him out of the ground when he was busy hiding in some box somewhere and he starts to walk over to the box. He's like, no, I better not. I might still be in there.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm feeling that.
0: <laughs> so I, the thing for me that I identify with in terms of this is how my identity as a cyclist has evolved over the last five or six years. Um, Mm -hmm. when I became a cyclist, I was just a cyclist. I didn't give it any more thought than I ride bikes. Um, so you weren't like a roadie when I first started? No, because, uh, so my first bike was actually a touring bike. My second bike was a mountain bike. My third bike was a real road racing bike. And so I was just a cyclist. And then I got hired at bicycle guide in 1996 And, Mm -hmm. you know, contractual obligation, more or less, I became a roadie and most people who know me professionally see me as a roadie because from then until sometime, you know, well, certainly on into after I launched RKP, I was a roadie and I had to one day decide, wait a second, I like mountain bikes. I miss mountain bikes. I should ride mountain bikes. Yeah, I'm going to ride mountain bikes again. And it wasn't until I started riding mountain bikes again that I started getting into gravel riding Mm -hmm. and that, that little drift, I won't even call it a journey, but that drift, that uh, expansion of my cycling horizons allowed me to look back at my interest in cycling in a fresh way and go, you know, I'm just cyclophilic. I'm not a roadie. I'm not a mountain biker. I'm not a this. I'm not a that. I like bikes. If it's got two wheels and pedals and a handlebar, I'm in.
1: I think there are more people in that in that camp these days than than there there were yeah. dec- a couple decades ago for sure. Yeah. Um but was it I have a question. Was it was it hard not not on the cycling front, but was it hard for you professionally as a writer to make that leap? Cuz did, did you feel like you had an audience that was in, entrenched in you being a road cyclist and that was not interested in Patrick, the mountain biker. I'm just, I'm curious. Mm,
0: totally. Yes. The, uh, uh, you know, broadly speaking. Mm. Yes, I can give you four mm. or five different yeses. So there was the concern that I would alienate audience. There mm-hmm. was the concern that I wouldn't be credible writing about mm-hmm. stuff that mm-hmm. wasn't road bike. There was concern that it would you know, it just looked like I was losing my focus and that I, mm-hmm. I didn't know what it was I was up to. So there were multiple concerns about this, but at the same time, you know, as all this was happening, let's see, I started riding mountain bikes again in 2011. So two years roll by, we have the reason decision, and to my eye, road cycling was just falling apart. And then right. in the wake of that, you've got Giro's new road collection and the people with Jiro and their PR agency saying no more heroes and me going, well, yeah, yeah, I'm done with that. I'm, I'm done with glorifying these guys who have no moral compass, uh, or, or at least within this limited realm, have mm. no moral compass. I don't want to promote that to my readers because I'm concerned about how I present cycling as a positive force force in their lives and mm-hmm. holding these guys up on some sort of pedestal just doesn't make sense anymore. Right. Right. It's it, I, I was seeing a, a disconnect between that. And so I began to ask my que- myself a question. If I'm not going to be writing about pro cycling anymore, what am I going to do to expand what RKP is and does so that it doesn't become just one dimensional in terms of road product review and you know thoughtful essays i didn't want to narrow it down so it's just two things that there needed to be more and so i started looking you know at other horizons and i you know i i'm sure i lost some audience as a result of this but i feel better about the site in terms of the way it embraces cycling overall right
1: Yeah. And I think, yeah, that's the future in my mind. I think that's the future anyway. I think that, you know, certainly at bicycling, that evolution has been crystal clear. That it it was a road cycling magazine. Mm -hmm. Let's be, you know, and mountain bike was, you know, internally part of it. And then it was externally its other thing. And now there's no such thing. There's no divisions. I mean, it's just bicycling is everything. Yeah. It's your, it's your, it's your e-cargo bike. It's your gravel ride. It's, it's all of it. Right. Right. Yeah.
0: And I, you know, I feel like I'm a, a more rounded person by having this adjustment in my outlook. Uh, yeah, you know, embracing e-bikes, especially an e-cargo bike. Mm-hmm. Why? Why should oh, a bike sure. just be one thing? So, yeah, I oh, like it. Cool. Yeah, good deal. Oh, all right. My turn. What do you have for us this week? Yeah. Well, by now, I think or I expect that most of our audience has heard that Shimano has just announced a new series of groups just for gravel riding called GRX. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I interviewed Nick Legan, who is one of the other judges at NABs, a friend of mine. He now works for Shimano. And well, let's just get into the interview. Nick Legan, man, good to talk to you. You have a big announcement. What is it that Shimano is up to
2: we're really excited uh, to announce the, the launch of our Shimano GRX line, which is a series of components that we believe is the world's first dedicated gravel component group set.
0: Uh, okay, so a group just for gravel. Um, naturally, a series of them, yeah. Okay, how does this stack up compared to Durace, Ultegra 105?
2: Sure. Well, um, in terms of of quality, we can get into that in a second. In terms of where the GRX line kind of falls, um, but we we found that you know repurposing road uh, does a disservice to gravel. You know, and in order for us to make the world's best road components, um, it was a bit of an ask for those same components to also be the world's best gravel components, and that's why GRX stands kind of adjacent to uh, our road selections, uh, but it has really cool crossover and, and bleed between the two uh, the two ranges. Um, specifically in terms of GRX, uh, our top spec kind of 800 series GRX is essentially on par with our Altegra. Uh And then we also have, uh, parts that are, uh, similar to in quality to 105 and our 10 speed Tiagra as well.
0: Okay. Okay. So three levels, uh, but nothing quite like Dura-Ace. Um, is that a, you find... Is that a matter of of what you need to uh to make Durace as successful it is, as it is on the road? That's just not appropriate for gravel, or what's the thinking there? Yeah, I wouldn't say
2: it's not appropriate for ga- gravel. There are plenty of people who ride Durace on gravel and and hopefully enjoy it. Um, I think that yep. what we really noticed is that um, uh, price consciousness is really uh, important in the gravel scene. Mm-hmm. And that's why we go everywhere from that, as I mentioned that Altegra, down to a two by ten um, really affordable option. So it isn't that Dures is inappropriate for or durace quality parts are inappropriate for gravel. It's that we felt that we could deliver um, a really good blend of value, performance, and durability by sticking with kind of that Altegra, kind of the meat of of our performance line.
0: okay. Uh, the big question everybody is going to be asking, I think the first question out of the gate has to do with gear range. Uh, for anyone riding unpaved surfaces with Durace or Altegra currently, the big limiter has been gear choice. What's different about GRX in terms of gearing?
2: It's uh, fairly significantly in some ways. Um, to be clear, all of our cassettes and chains are already in lines. So there are no new cassettes or chains in the GRX line. So you'll be using, uh, you could use Durace cassettes, Ultegra cassettes, one of five cassettes, and so on. And the same goes for the chains. And I think that uh, if you couldn't hear it, there was applause from all the bike shop owners and employees when I just said that. Because we don't want to add SKUs. We don't need to complicate life for uh, our beloved bike shops. Um, and for that matter, for our beloved cyclists. Um, we're really proud that this is an 11 speed group and that it plays so nicely with the other groups. Um, but to the, to the meat of your question, to the heart of the question, um, there are a few options. We have two by 11, we have one by 11, and we have two by 10. And mm-hmm. the ranges on offer vary depending on which of those specs you choose. Um, if we focus on the 800 series, the, the two by crank uses a 48-31 chainring setup, which is pretty cool because that can be paired with an 11-34 cassette, so that gets you something that's fairly significantly lower than that one-to-one ratio. Mm-hmm. For our current offering, you can run a 34 small chainring and a 34 large cassette on, uh, for instance, Altegra. Yep. Um, and for some people, that's funny, Um, but we're finding that for a lot of people, it isn't. Yeah. And, and, and if it isn't, boy, riding is a lot more fun when you have the low gear that you need. Um, and then conversely, if you do the math, that 4811 when, top gear, when mm-hmm. you use that with a 40 millimeter tire, which is, I would say exceedingly common as a t- tire size in oh, yeah. gravel, um, that works out to almost exactly the same gear as a 5011 on a 25 mil road tire. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm smart out in a 5011 on my road bike, I'm going pretty darn fast, um, and <laughs> yes. I don't really need to go that fast on a gravel bike. That, to me, uh, sounds fairly frightening.
0: Right, but you're doing a 4630 option as well, right? That's right.
2: So uh, we also have a kind of a mid-spec crank uh, that's 11-speed compatible, so we'll have a 4630 in our 2 by 11 And then our 2 by 10 is only a 4630.
0: One of the things that I did notice is that 4831, you mentioned, has a 17-tooth jump. That's the biggest I've ever seen from Shimano, perhaps from anybody, actually. What did you have to do to keep the front derailleur from going on strike? (laughs)
2: Um, That, uh, well, to confirm, that is the the largest uh, delta, the largest difference that we have ever produced. Um, And what was cool about it is it, it... we identified that from an engineering perspective, if, if we knew we wanted a big difference between those chain rings, we first looked at what the, the, we wanted the outer ring to be. And then from an engineering standpoint, we looked at what's going to work nicely with that 48. Um, it turns out that with our chain ramps and pin technologies, a 31 is really optimal for that size. So that's why it's kind of, a, well, it's literally an odd size um, compared to a lot that you see out on the market. Um, the that allows us to to maintain Shimano's renowned front shifting. Mm-hmm. So, with regards to the front derailleur, what's cool about that is that we we be, and like this is what I was kind of getting at earlier. To ask a road front derailleur to do that is a big ask because our road front derailleurs are designed in the case of Dura Ace to work with something up to a fifty four, sometimes even a fifty five tooth chain ring. Yeah. Well, that's that's a big ask to then ask it to also um, shift a forty eight thirty one. So the GRX front derailleur. Uh, is designed around essentially the largest you should run with it is a fifty, uh, and that allows us to change the shape and the dimension of that front derailleur to work with these these different ranges, these more gravel specific ranges.
0: If I follow you correctly, in two by eleven, the lowest gear I can achieve with GRX would be a thirty thirty four. Is that correct? That's right. yep. Okay. I can easily make a case for thirty thirty six or maybe thirty forty. Um, and so it sounds like you've got more options in the 10 speed group. Uh, but I mean, why, uh, you've done a fresh rear derailleur for this. Why is thirty thirty six not an option for a low gear with this group?
2: So interestingly, the thirty thirty six is an option in our two by 10. Uh, we produce an eleven thirty six cassette in our 10 speed range. Mm-hmm. And so if you're looking for the lowest gear you can get, you can save a lot of money while you're doing it. Uh, by going with two by ten GRX, um, thirty by forty is just a pretty big ask of almost any derailleur. If you look at, we've already got that seventeen tooth difference up front and a rear derailleur. If we have to remind ourselves, the rear derailleur has to take up all the slack right. that is created by with by that front shift, and then also be able to take up the difference between uh, the largest and the smallest cog. So thirty forty is kind of just a bridge too far for right now. And to be honest. Um, it also kind of starts to, um, push you in a direction where you might be better served by a mountain bike.
0: Let's talk about the choices for riders who want to go one by, uh, what are the options there?
2: Um, well, first it's, I think it's worth pointing out that the crank arm is the same for one by or two by. So you could conceivably use the same crank and switch back and forth, which is pretty cool. Hmm. Um, current chain rings we're offering are a 40 tooth and a 42 tooth. And those can be paired then, again, with existing cassettes, uh, an 1140 and an 1142. So you can still get um, a one-to-one or a slightly lower than one-to-one gear ratio mm-hmm. with that. Um, and it, obviously, you're going to lose some weight. You're going to increase some clearance. Um, and if you're coming from that mountain biker background, we find that that's not, not uh, to a cyclist, but it's frequent that a lot of the people who are interested in a one-by setup um, might have a mountain bike background. Because obviously they're dominating the market on the mountain bike side. Um, But yeah, so those are our gear ranges for one by. Cool. And I think it's also worth noting on the one by that this is the first time we've had a mechanical wide ratio rear derailleur that works with a road or drop bar shifter. So, one of the most exciting parts about this for a lot of bike shops is that um, for cyclocross, for instance, we haven't really mentioned that, but these are also now our dedicated cyclocross parts. Um, We now have that wide ratio rear. Uh, mechanical derailleur that you could put on your bike that has current 105 or Altegra or 11 speed, and you can build yourself a, a gravel bike for summer, put a narrower cassette on for cyclocross, and you have that same built-in chain stabilizer. So all of, our, all of the derailleurs in the GRX line have a, that integrated chain stabilizer.
0: Now let's move on to ergonomics. The hood shape for both mechanical and DI2 levers is noticeably different from other Shimano levers. I appreciate that that's one of the hallmarks of changing groups. You know, you, the, the levers are always, um, uh, different, you know, visually. I'm curious to know about what sort of conditions, considerations went into the shaping, uh, of those levers beyond just your, your traditional concerns for ergonomics. What were there other, uh, things you were looking at?
2: Well, yeah, ergonomics is a real talking point for GRX. Um, we're especially proud of the DI2 levers, which are a, a ground up redesign. Um, they have no carryover from our current line, um, aside from the fact that they feel great. Um, but the, the ergonomics are really different. We feel that, um, our road DI2 hydraulic levers are kind of the gold standard for ergonomics on the road. Um, and to be, to be honest, if we went about changing those for gravel, a lot of roadies would be up in arms. All, all of our pro tour riders would be really upset. So, <laughs> um, but when, when people were using those levers, however great they are for gravel and mixed surface riding, we did get some feedback that at times, if you came kind of blind into a really chunky or really rough section, when you were riding on the tops of the hoods, you, you could feel like you might be bounced off the front of your bike a little bit. Mm-hmm. So the, the DI2 lever has a more pronounced kind of hook there at the front to keep you from rolling over the front of that. Um, we're really excited about the ergonomics of it. Uh, it's still very slim. It's still very small in an overall diameter or circumference. Um, but then the, the brake lever blade itself is also different. There are some indents there that make the shifting, or sorry, the braking from the top of the hoods mm-hmm. feel really powerful. Um, and on the DI2 lever, the brake pivot is actually moved up 18 millimeters higher so that you do have more stopping power from the top of the hoods. Oh, um, And then the entire brake lever uh, blade is also uh, treated with a surface treatment that makes it a little tackier when it gets wet. Um, it just has a, and, and that, that surface treatment actually goes down through the line. Um, so to would be really specific on the mechanical brake shift levers. Um, those use our existing mechanical hydro hood shape. Uh That one has enough of a pronounced bump at the front of it to keep you from um, feeling like you might go off the front of it. But they do receive an updated brake lever, which has those same indents and -hmm. the same surface treatment.
0: Let's talk about brake levers a little bit more. I noticed something sort of surprising that took a couple of looks before I really began to appreciate. There's what looks to be a flat bar brake lever in this group. What up with so it, that?
2: <laughs> so it's, it's not for flat bars, it's for drop bars, um, but it's for the tops of your bars. So if anyone r- uh, raced cyclocross in the late 90s, early 2000s, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Runkles. Um, we told them. <laughs> there's all sorts of uh, wonderfully creative terms around those brake levers. A lot of people call them top mount brake levers. We're calling them sub levers. And the idea is when you're riding on the tops of your handlebars, you've got those brake levers right in front of you. So you don't have to move your hand to the hood or to the drops. slow yourself um as as far as we know this is an industry first um this is the first uh, way to do this with hydraulic brakes on a drop bar bike yeah um it's something that we're really really excited about it's interesting because this whole kind of gravel and mixed surface and all road riding was really uh expedited and liberated by the arrival of hydraulic disc brakes to road bikes Um, but at the same time there there were some casualties, and one of those were these top mount brake levers. Um, So we're really excited to bring that back as an option. Um, We'll be selling those as pairs or individual left and right. Um, And I think that we see some really interesting use cases, whether it's for beginners, Mm -hmm. uh, whether it's for touring cyclists, whether it's for cyclocross racers, or it's, you know, some people are running really, really wide flared drop bars. um, And as as a potential... um, Kind of mental exercise, if you had those on a DI2 bike, you could run an accessory shifter and you could have shifting and braking from the tops, the hoods, and the drops, which is just pretty fun to think about. Uh-huh. So, uh, yeah, we're excited about those too.
0: Very cool. Now, one of the things that has definitely emerged in the gravel market uh, in terms of special builds has been the use of dropper posts. Gotta get rad. Uh, uh, you planning anything there?
2: Absolutely. So, um because we have some one by offerings, um, we are also offering some left side mechanical levers uh, to match. So one of them is just a brake lever. Um, there are no shift internals at all. Mm-hmm. um so that if you have that mechanical one by brake, you can have that nice svelte looking cockpit, save a little weight, things like that. Um interestingly that that one by specific left brake lever actually still swings a little bit uh, in that shift action, and that's to prevent damage to that lever in the event of a crash. Hmm. Um, and then we also have another left side lever for one by bikes that will actuate a dropper post. So it's just a seamless integration. We're really stoked about it. Um, there's no, again, there's no second paddle and you perform, you, you actuate the dropper by swinging the large blade like you would shifting from a small chain ring to a large chain ring.
0: Well, the big question, of course, availability,
2: um, availability is June, July for mechanical and August for Di2.
0: I think a lot of people are probably going to prefer to buy a bike with this on it rather than march out and uh, go to their local bike shop and order a group. Who's going to be first to market with complete bikes built up with this?
2: You just got to dig, don't you? It's good. Um, <laughs> the truth is, is that there, there are going to be uh, all the major brands will have GRX um, in calendar year 19, we hope. Um, but a lot of those uh, may be new models. So those are embargoed and I can't talk about them. Um, The one brand I can mention is that uh, Kona. Kona will absolutely have GRX bikes in the near future.
0: Well, okay. One last question, Nick. Let's talk about compatibility. You said that, you know, all the shops will already have essentially the cassettes. uh, You're using existing stock on that. What about between uh, the various GRX groups? How good is the compatibility there?
2: It's, it's all designed to work really nicely together, both within the GRX range, as long as you stick with, you know, 10 speed versus 11 speed. Mm-hmm. Um, but it'll also integrate perfectly with Durace, Altegra, 105 Tiagra, and so on. The idea there is that the, the cable ratio stroke for the rear derailleur is exactly the same. So if you, if you had a current bike with, um, say, 105 on it, and you decided that you wanted the stability of that chain stabilizer, you can buy just a GRX rear derailleur and install that on your bike. Likewise, the the brakes, all the fittings are the same on the Di2. It's all still E-tube. So if you have a bike that's already wired with Di2, you could pull off your older Di2 parts and literally plug and play. Wow.
0: Very cool. Nick, always a pleasure to talk with you. Uh, thanks so much. I look forward to getting a chance to ride this stuff.
2: Thanks for having me on the show. Thanks so much.
0: So again, that was Nick Legan of Shimano talking about Shimano's new GRX series of groups. Uh, <laughs> Celine, I got to ask, how does this uh, trip the fun meter for you?
1: <laughs> well, I, I've, I've, listening to that makes my head spin. I have to be honest. I, uh, <laughs> not that I, so just to be clear, I think it's actually a really great thing. Mm-hmm. I am not, my head is not spinning because, oh my God, somebody came out with a gravel group. I mean, you, you know, you heard some of that and it's silly because the really, as he speaks to, there's a need. There is a, legitimate need Yep. the gear the gear needs are there's so much and i liked his point like asking road groups to do all this stuff just was not tenable i mean it just didn't make sense yeah right so i uh i i, I really appreciated that now that said i i understand tech i'm not a giant tech person though like so a lot of tech talk goes a, a little tech talk goes a long way i should say for me so i i love nick and i love his depth of it but I, you know I, what I take from that, and and I am interested in it, is that I love how they thought about, just really thought about their audience and thought about, like, what we are actually doing and what we're asking these bikes to do and these giant, like, you're talking about these 17 tooth jumps and these, just all this stuff, you know, when we're in these conditions and, you know, one-by-one one ratio sounds great, but sometimes it's not. Like, sometimes that's actually, you know, sometimes... You're like, I could use something else as a ratio here. And I and I like that they they thought about that. And they they and I know a lot of that crew. I know the Shimano crew that <laughs> they've they've put together. There's a few East Coasters here that, you know, uh Tofer and Nick Unitowski and, you know, a couple of my very good friends are involved. And uh yeah, it's I think it's you know, you, you can roll your eyes, you could do whatever, but it's legit. And I don't I don't think it's just like trying to sell more product or any of that kind of stuff. I think that it's really filling a need mm-hmm. and and the need pushed the product, if you will. Yeah. And, and I pr- I really appreciate that. And I also, to the point in the interview, think that and I think it was your point. Most people are not going to buy this stuff and then put it on their like retrofit it onto their bikes. Right. I think I think most people are just going to be looking for a bike that has this outfit to it. Yeah. I, I, that's my gut feeling on it. I don't know if that was yours when you asked the question.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Uh, I. I mean, I think, you know, it's a. It, it is a group that will get some aftermarket sales as a complete group because of the number uh, of yeah. people buying custom frames. Fair. I that's think. Fair. Mm-hmm. I think probably the biggest single area for custom frame sales right now, based on what I'm seeing at NABS, is for gravel bikes. I think that's the place hmm. where custom frame builders still have to some degree, an edge on all the big manufacturers. I mean, don't get Why me do wrong. Why do you say that? Because you're able to get somebody to design a bike specific to your needs. So if I was getting a gravel bike and I was still living in Memphis, it would be a different gravel bike than something I would want for here in Northern California. Uh, mm-hmm. I would have some different needs. And- but
1: you feel like that's not satisfied by the larger manufacturers, or I'm just trying to tease out
0: my take is that once people start getting into gravel, they begin to recognize some finer gradations of what they need their bike to be able to do. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there are an awful lot of manufacturers out there whose bikes still have relatively limited tire clearance where. Yes, that's true. That's you're really pushing it to put a 40 in there. And yeah, that's very true. I, you know, based on all the tires that are out there now, if your bike can't handle a 700 by 40, you made, you made the rear triangle and the fork too small. You got mm-hmm. it wrong. No,
1: yeah, I think that's, that's interesting.
0: And so that's where, and then there are times where you, you know, you need say, uh, uh or for your particular descending style, you need a lower bottom bracket or you need mm-hmm. a little bit longer wheelbase for a little added stability. And, you know, the the Specialized Diverge is a pretty masterful bike. They did a great job with it, but there are an awful lot of gravel bikes, and I should use like air quotes, gravel bikes mm-hmm. out there that are still essentially not terribly different from a cyclocross bike. It's a higher bottom yeah. bracket, it's a shorter wheelbase, and you get going 40 miles an hour on that thing, and you feel like, well, I could die right now. <laughs> yes. And so, I know, yes. I think there's still some catch up on the part of the bigger manufacturers. But back to this group, I, you know, one of the things that I most love about it is they looked at the market and what people are spending, what people want to spend, and they mm-hmm. didn't do something that came in price-wise, you know, equivalent with Dura Ace. It's That's good yeah. in terms of quality level, good you've point. got Altegra 105 Tiagra. That's how these three right. groups shake out. And Nick told me that price wise, you know, once you start seeing them, it's going to reflect that. Uh, that
1: makes sense. Yeah, I think that makes sense too.
0: It really does. And you know, so many other little details that they did. The 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 bigger Jesus bump at the end of the levers. That I love one. that.
1: I love the Jesus bump. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: And the way the pivot. Oh, I love
1: the tie. I love the brakes too. I forgot about that. The the yeah. what what did he call them? I call them the top, the top. He called them something else. Yeah. I can't remember.
0: Top top levers or something. Yeah. Uh, I, I know that from the Swiss cyclocrosser back Cyclocross, in the, yeah. Dieter Runkel, And so everybody called them Runkles.
1: Right. I had them on my first, uh, it was a giant. Uh-huh. I had them. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. Giant was doing that even on just uh, inline road bikes, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was a, it was a pretty brilliant thing. Uh, and it's especially when like Nick noted, when you've got a wider flared bar, having those yeah, which, levers up there that's pretty dynamite
1: which gravel i mean i'm thinking about this top secret bike i can't talk about that i'm riding right now um but it has really flared bars and i'm i'm kind of new to them and they're 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 cool but it does it it, it it's almost it's not like riding aero bar but it it, it presents the a same a similar challenge where your hands are somewhere And they're not necessarily where you want them to be all the time. So, I mean, I think having, you know, to control your bike. So I think having them up in that top is not a bad idea.
0: Yeah. 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 The one point I will criticize is a point that I criticize everybody across the board for a 4811 huge gear. I just don't think it's necessary for the vast majority of everybody doing gravel riding. Nick told me part of the interview that wound up on the cutting room floor he was telling me about Jeff Kabush at Dirty Kansas last year, and he was spun out at one point in a fifty eleven. Spun out. Well,
1: that's Jeff Kabush,
0: right? A. And and he's not a one percenter. He's like a you know one third of a percent. Yeah, yeah. For everybody else, a forty six twelve, it would be plenty big, plenty big for the vast majority of us.
1: Do you think it's a problem?
0: Well, I it's not that it's a problem in in that sense, but I I see it as limiting in terms of you know, if you if you use a smaller big ring, then you're mm-hmm. in you're more in the middle, the meat of your cassette mm-hmm. more of the time. You end mm-hmm. up with more usable gears. I have never used a 5011 or even a 4611. On my gravel bikes. I've never gotten into that gear to use it. Never. Right. So, I mean, literally, I ride around with what might as well be a 20-speed drivetrain. I've got yeah. a cog yeah. I'm never yeah. using. Because with DI2, you can't shift small, small. You can't even do uh, small next to small. Right. And so there right. are there are 23, oh, 20, right. uh, there are three or four different gear combinations on my Allied That I don't ever use. Well, I'd like those gears at the low end or inserted somewhere in the middle Mm -hmm, so that I mm -hmm. have more usable combinations. And that makes sense. You know, if I look at Strava and I see that in an awful lot of circumstance, circumstances, I'm in the top 25% of people riding around here, you know, just in terms of, you know, all time on segments, if I'm in the top 25% and I'm not using those gears, well, you've got thousands of people just in my neighborhood who aren't using mm-hmm. that gear either.
1: Yeah, no, that's a great point. So,
0: great it's point. something I'm going to keep harping on. Uh, I, I try to be friendly about it, but I'm going to keep criticizing both SRAM and Shimano on that point. Hmm. Yeah. No, that, that's a valid point. But it's the it's the only place where I can poke a hole at them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Cool. No, I think I think it's I think it's exciting. Yeah, it's good Very stuff. Cool.
0: Uh alrighty. Uh paceline picks.
1: Sure thing. So uh my pick this week is a book. And it just came out, like literally just landed on my desk. It is uh Shred Girls, Lindsay's Joyride, um, by Molly Herford and illustrated by Viol- Violet Lemay, and Ooh. that is Shred Girls, like mountain bike girls. Uh-huh. Um, it's cool. It's a fiction book. The first in a series of I actually don't know how many, but it's I know it's gonna be a series. And it features young girls finding their confidence and learning all those sort of hard middle school life lessons through the prism of bikes. And uh, yeah, it's kind of like the babysitters club on BMX. So I I know the author and she's passionate and smart and funny and kind of nerdy. And, you know, I I'm sure a lot of this is uh, a little bit of a, a, Memoir sort of journey for her. But it's, you know, I'm so psyched to see this piece of young adult literature that she has worked for three years on hit my desk. And it's beautiful. And I love that it's hardcover. And I've only skimmed it so far, but it looks really great. And honestly, I'm just happy it exists. It's so fantastic.
0: It's a really cool thing. Oh, I look forward to seeing it myself. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent.
1: We'll have a link in the show so people, because it had the shredgirls.com is also a website. So people can just check out what she's doing there.
0: Okay. Yeah. We'll have that in the show notes. Cool. My pick this week, strictly speaking, is not a cycling product. (laughs) I recently bought a weighted blanket. I love them. Oh, yeah? You're in?
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I'm (laughs) in.
0: Okay. Well, when I first heard that this was even a thing, which was probably 10 years ago, the mere idea appealed to me. I mean, just... Instantaneously, there was something somatic about it where I just, okay, yeah, I get it. Uh, mm-hmm. I've always loved the feeling of a whole bunch of blankets on me when I sleep. I kind of like winter for that reason. For me, there are really two reasons why I might not get a great night's sleep these days. The first is anxiety. And when I'm dealing with depression, that gets ratcheted up to the, mm-hmm. all, all the way. <laughs> 11. Um, However, anytime I do a really hard event or even just a really hard training ride, I sleep like crap that night. Mm -hmm. And you know, I've carried that around as something of a a badge of honor, you know? Mm -hmm. Oh yay. Mm -hmm. I I slept like crap last night. I must (laughs) really have done a great job yesterday, but I mean, I don't like feeling awful the next day because I slept so poorly. So the weighted blanket helps me get a better night's sleep even when my legs are destroyed. The one I bought came from a company called SensiCalm. There are a number of brands making them, okay? I went with SensiCalm because they seem to have the clearest ideas about weight and size, such as you only get a blanket big enough to cover you. It shouldn't <laughs> hang over the side of the bed because it will inevitably slide off if it does. Mm-hmm. I was concerned that it wouldn't be big enough. You know, I, I, it would, it took some work for me to kind of buy into that idea, but it's like, well, they seem to have done some research. I'll give it a try. I can return it if not. And they were right. They were totally right. Weighted blankets are not cheap. Most of the ones I've seen are north of $200. There are some that are a little less, but you're going to spend at least $100 for sure. Mm-hmm. This one that I bought, yeah, a little north of $200. I got a cover for it that's easily washable because I wouldn't dare throw this in a washing (laughs) machine unless, uh, you know, a cat threw up on it or something. (laughs) And then I'd go to a laundromat, right? Um, But, you know, you think about what a good night's sleep is worth to you and how many of those you need, which is basically one every day. $200 is not a lot of money.
1: Do you you find it? Helps you fall asleep faster? I've, like your
0: latencies? I unless I'm really wigged out by something, I've always tended to fall asleep pretty quickly. So I don't think it yeah, makes a too. big difference that way. Yeah. The big thing for me is sleeping all the way through the night. Mm-hmm. Uh I I got too hot last night, got a little sweaty, woke up. Um, so I'm still working out the whole temperature thing.
1: That's a hard that's the hardest part, I think. Yeah. Like I I like you, um, I have always been a cocooner. Like I like be wrapped up i like i I've, I've i've piled pillows on myself i like to feel like i have a hard time with summer sleeping for that reason as well because <laughs> i like weight um but yeah the, the 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 heat thing and especially after a hard effort because i don't know about you but i furnace like after a really right i'm I a space into like a, yes <laughs> like it's just like so it, it's i i find that putting my feet out sometimes solves that you know sometimes that's enough to cool down but yeah it's a whole thing
0: yeah for me it's my torso my torso will get sweaty and that's where the problem is so i think i've got to get like a duvet cover and ditch the comforter i'll get that sorted out but the thing is so i woke up for a while last night fell back asleep and when i went back to sleep i was out I, That's awesome. yeah, I Great. didn't wake up until I absolutely had to this morning when there was enough noise at home that it woke me up. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm blown away by just how successful this has been for me. And once I get the temperature thing dialed, it'll be even better. Oh cool. yeah. Well, awesome. Oh, all right. All righty. Uh, um, another show. Yeah. What are you up to this weekend?
1: uh it is mother's day weekend and i i'm kind of on my own there's uh, like i said i've got that big mountain bike race next week mm-hmm. and i'm gonna do a big ride probably go out to hawk mountain which is a really fun destination around here it's like a 90 mile ride out and back but it goes up to this hawk mountain which is a big pinnacle where you know raptors come through and uh celebrate mother's day with my daughter and my mother on sunday eh, yeah that's about it cool yourself
0: well, this weekend is the final grasshopper of the series. Not for the season. Wow, fast.
1: Oh, okay. <sighs> yeah,
0: okay. yeah. I mean, there will be a couple others, but they're not part of the series. You know that you get the uh, accumulate the points toward the total. Yeah. So all I have to do is f- finish this one. I get my medal. Yay! Yay! So it's the eighty miles of the King Ridge Dirt Supreme coming. I'm curious about how a portion of this will play out because uh, about a month ago I did the Willow Creek Descent, which is a big feature traditionally in in multiple grasshoppers and there were two new landslides one land settle uh (laughs) you know there were like two foot ledges that we had to step down there's also a big i I mean big like six six or eight feet in diameter redwood that fell oh wow those
1: are big yeah yeah
0: so getting well The easiest way to say it is that the KOM for going down Willow Creek is set for good. Yeah, (laughs) that's done. Yeah, that's done. So getting down that will be a little bit interesting, but I really love that event. It's an awful lot of fun. Uh, I mean, for all the suffering that it is. And yeah, this is Mother's Day. So I want to say happy Mother's Day to you and all the moms out there. Uh, I'm of the opinion that motherhood is proof that women are definitely better people than men.
1: That's <laughs> <laughs> I'll just, I'll just leave that there. <laughs> thank yeah, you. It's, it's just as well. <laughs> just say thank you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, Hey, keep those questions coming. You all have been sending some great stuff. If you get, if you've got an idea, please drop by RKP and put a suggestion in the comments before we go. I'd like to put in a plug for RKP's other podcast, the poll. The show features artisans talking about their craft in one-on-one interviews. Think Terry Gross for cyclists. This week's show is a tribute to frame builder Roland De Santa, who passed away this last weekend at the age of 72. I managed to line up six different interviews with friends of his, including Gary Fisher and Olympic silver medalist Inga Thompson. Wow. Yeah. It was, it was not easy putting that show together, but I'm wow, really proud of it. That would be great, though. Yeah. Yeah. We hope you enjoyed the show, and if you have, please leave us a good review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It makes us easier for other listeners to find. Until next week, I'm Patrick Brady with Celine Yeager. Thanks for listening to The Pace Line.